I got to be honest with y'all. I'm, I'm like, my energy is like here. And I feel like y'all are like here. So I'm going to need y'all to meet me halfway. Halfway. Listen, I've been in a room with 13,000 kids just jumping up and down for no reason. Like they, so just meet me halfway. I'm not even asking you to come all the way. Just halfway. Defy the odds of early hours and personality. Okay? And just meet me halfway. Just talk a little bit. That's all. If all you got this morning is a deacon hum, hum on. Mm. Okay? That's, it's all right. Listen. Today we're going to talk about Jesus being the way, the truth, and the life. And this is important because everyone, everyone, except the slim minority who might say they don't believe in it at all, everyone wants to know the way to heaven. Everyone wants to know to the way to heaven. Heaven is the most universally accepted answer to where one goes after they end their life on this earth. There are movies about heaven, songs about heaven, old cartoons depicting people and animals losing their life and doing what? Floating up to heaven. Even if one did not believe in heaven, a rough survey of your neighborhood or city block would reveal that everyone, everyone has at least thought about it. Even my atheist friends have started their debates with me with the statement, well, if God is so good, why would he send people to hell and not heaven? Why wouldn't he let everyone go to heaven? Which my response always is, well, heaven is secondary to the reality of God. So until we can agree on God, we don't really need to be talking about how he acts. Right? Just, you know, you got to be ready to clap back at all times. They call me Petty Pendergrass. And there, there, though, in a simple and heartfelt question, and even in the musings of cartoons and Disney films, all dogs go to heaven, lies the problem. The idea of heaven, or rather heaven itself, being universally accepted as a logical destination for life after death has created a widely accepted belief that access to heaven is as dynamic as the multiverse. What I mean, what I mean, is there is a narrative in the culture and in the church that there are many ways to heaven. Even among people who say they practice the way of Jesus, listen, over 50% surveyed say that they believe that there is more than one way to heaven. Some even believe in multiple heavens. Staggering. And one can certainly be left feeling convicted with the implications of any exclusive pathway to anything. It is easier. Listen, it may even feel more compassionate and empathetic to push for more roads instead of one. But I believe we have to be without conflict, family. You and I, you and I, we need to be clear. We need to be clear and without conflict on the way to get to God. We need to know that if what we accepted as true is true, Especially given, listen, this, this blew my mind. You go and fact check me. 
given that 75% of Americans believe that they're going to heaven. 75%. Whether they practice a faith or not. 75%. If we fall on the side of believing many roads will lead to the same destination, but then we put ourselves in a perilous path. And I get it, I really do. I understand the desire for there to be many ways to heaven. It comes, generally it comes from what? A place of empathy and compassion. It does. Especially if you know, God bless you, especially if you know your scriptures. And the word of God says that, that God is not slow as you count slowness, but he is patient, waiting on you. Because he wishes that none would perish, but that all would find eternal life. One of the most challenging and painful conversations I ever had was with a dear friend of mine whom I loved dearly. And they asked me if they were going to heaven. They visited me in Atlanta the first time that I lived here. While I was chasing my NFL dream, we hung out, we laughed, we ate, we had a great time. And one night out of the blue, and this is usually how this happens, I don't know why people get philosophical when they start drinking <laughs> or smoking. Man, you think God really inside all of us. <laughs> right? Like, I've had these conversations with people. So they were about four, five, 12 drinks in. <laughs> Not me, them. Not me. I would never do such a thing. And out of the blue, sitting there on the couch, and out of the blue, my friend turns to me and says, do you think I'm going to hell or to heaven? Now, let me give you a little bit of context for this. I, I was stunned and I was speechless because my friend was a mostly non-practicing Jewish person from New York, New York Jew. They different, they built different. And as much as I would like to tell you, I confidently asserted my faith. No, I stammered. And I hemmed and I hawed and I paused. You know what I'm talking about. And then I took a deep breath because my heart was beating so fast that I had started to sweat. Everybody, anybody ever experienced that level of personal anxiety where you just get sweaty because it's so bad? I didn't want to hurt him. The last thing in the world I wanted was to hurt him. And so my first instinct was to dodge it or deflect it. Can we be honest? How many times have you dodged or deflected that question? How many times? That was my first instinct, and I had done it before. Good at it. I talk for a living. Well, when you think about the philosophical nature of heaven and whether, whether hell is a place or an idea, and, Pretty soon they're just so caught up in whatever musings I'm doing that they forgot their question. But the Holy Spirit wouldn't let me go. Pressed me to speak the truth. And as gently as I could, I said something to the effect of, listen, listen. I always start that, listen. I don't know why. Listen to too many preachers, I guess. Listen. 
hell is not a focus, or rather the focus, of a relationship with Jesus. Hell is not the focus of a relationship with Jesus. And our view of whatever hell is has been formed more by Dante's Inferno than it has by the scriptures. And simply put, simply put, outside of devils and pitchforks and fire and rocks, simply put, all hell is is an existence with the total absence of God. That's what hell is. And then I said to him, I said, think about our world now. Think about our world now with its wars and its ravages and its pain and its poverty. And God is here in his spirit through his people. Can you imagine a world totally void of God? That's hell. Now, if you don't believe in God, which you've told me many times that you don't, then I cannot imagine you want to go to heaven with him where he is. But if you do want to go to heaven one day where he is, then nothing more is required of you than believing that Jesus is who he said he is. And he did what he said he did so that you could experience both abundant and eternal life. It was a hush moment. Thank you. Thank you for meeting me halfway. Thank you. Thank you. We didn't pay you to be here, and I appreciate that. I'm going to slide you a 20 later on. That's all I got. It was hushed for a moment, literally. You ever been in one of those moments where, like, the air leaves the room? And I just sat there, like, waiting waiting for them to tell me that I hated them or they hated me or they were never going to talk to me again. But in the most sincere way, my Jewish friend responded to me. I don't know if I'm ready to believe that. We talked on and off for a while after that, but never again about faith in Jesus. And I share this story with you to emphasize again that I get it. I get it. I'm not judging you. I get it. And I know there are several of you, several of you, maybe many of you, you have people in your life and they are far from God. And they believe that they're going to go to heaven one day. And you haven't told them. You haven't told them. And as much as you think you are loving them by not telling them, it is the very opposite. Because as the atheist and magician Penn once recorded in a video, he said, if you're a Christian and you don't tell other people that Jesus is the only way, then I can't trust you. Because if I was about to step off of a curb and a Mack truck was coming and it was going to mow me down, but you didn't tell me because you didn't want to offend me, then you don't love me. That's what an atheist said. But I get it. I get it. The reality is, though, family, there is only one way to heaven, and it's through Jesus. And the exclusivity of it 
It's not staged to leave anyone out. It is designed to invite everyone in. And I hope we would be those that extend that invitation. If you want to look with me at John chapter 14, I'll try to be out of your way very quickly here. A lot has happened in this unfolding narrative <clears throat> since his last I am statement. Jesus brought his beloved friend Lazarus back from death in what could easily be defined as his most defiant miracle. The Jewish leaders have intensified in animosity and their desire to kill Jesus is starting to form into a plot. Jesus celebrated the Passover meal with his disciples in this in-between time, washing their feet and revealing to all who would ultimately betray him to the Jewish leaders, leading to his crucifixion on the cross. And in a sorrowful moment, Jesus had to tell his lead disciple, Peter, that when it goes down, when the moment finally comes for me to be taken and arrested, you will deny even knowing me. One would think that this would be a time for Jesus' friends to lend him emotional support. Instead, it is Jesus, it's, it's Jesus who is heading for the agony of the cross. It's Jesus who is deeply troubled in heart. It's Jesus who is troubled in spirit. And yet he is the one who still gives comfort and instruction. You see, Jesus had been speaking directly to Peter right before this. You go read for yourself about what Peter was going to do. But now he broadens his focus to include the other disciples. Why? For they too, verse 1 says, are troubled. They are troubled. Not because they are rushing toward pain and ignominy and shame and the crucifixion. They are confused and they are uncertain about what Jesus means. And they are terrified by his reference to his imminent departure. Jesus' disciples are under emotional pressure. On the brink of catastrophic failure. And there is, of course, an implicit tie to Peter, right? Because if Peter is going to fall apart, what is the hope for the rest of us? If Peter is going to deny you, what is the hope for the rest of us? How can we be more stable than him? They're shaking. Peter didn't always have the right answers, but his Loyalty to Jesus was always evident. If he's going to deny him. <laughs> but they were left profoundly upset. And the way, Jesus says, the disciples are to calm their hearts, he spells it out for them. What does he say? Believe in God and believe in me. That is the way that you calm your heart. That is the way that you calm your anxiety. 
That is the way that you calm your fear and your worry. That is the way that, that you ease your need for control over all of your outcomes and circumstances. Believe in God and also believe, Jesus says, in me. Trust God. Trust me. You see, they can only find real hope and confidence by folk, listen, they can only find real hope and confidence by focusing on God instead of themselves. You're not going to find confidence somewhere deep within. It ain't there. It ain't there. But the Bible tells us that. The heart is wicked above all things. It cannot be trusted. So if I can't trust what's going on inside of me, how am I going to let it dictate my direction? So he says, no, 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 no. Focus on me. Focus on me. Family, do you trust him today? Do you, do you trust him with your future? Do you trust him with your family? Do you trust him with your presence? Listen, do you trust him with your past? Do you trust him? Do you trust him? Because if you don't trust him, you can expect to be troubled. You can expect to be troubled. So Jesus says, trust in me. Invariably, I speak the words of God and I perform the acts of God. Should I not be trusted like God? The reason then that he gives for them to trust his leaving is a promise. It's a promise. Look at verse two and three. He says, I'm leaving not to abandon you, but to prepare a place for you. I gotta go. Two times he says, I gotta go because if I don't leave, you won't get the spirit. I got to go. For you to walk in the fullness of what God has for you, I've got to go so that the spirit can come and fill you up. I got to go. Because I'm going to prepare a place for you. I'm going to prepare a place. Listen, he says to his disciples, my departure is to your advantage. You think you're losing, but you're actually gaining. Because I'm going so that I can set up your eternal home. <laughs> the language that he uses here, a father's house or rooms, is used many times in Jewish sources when speaking of heaven. And his main point, his main point, listen, is that I'm going to God. And I'm going to get this thing set up. And then I'm going to come back and I'm going to get you. Right? For those of us who are parents, you've had that conversation many, many times. I need you to sit here. Just sit here. I'm going to go and make you food. I'm going to prepare a plate. If you, would, if you could just... If you could just... Sometimes God do that too. If you could just sit, you got one motion, one motion. I'm doing a fathering small group in the fall and the day one going to be, 
it's, listen, it's a, you got to work on your shoulder mobility. You don't get your elbow through, you're going to have two motions. If you could just sit here, I'm going to be right back. I'm going to be right back. I'm going to be right back. I need to go to the Father so that I can get things ready for you. Now, I know y'all have been told that you're going to get mansions, but that's not what the word says. <laughs> it's not. It says that he's going to prepare dwelling places. What is envisioned, if you can envision it, it's not mansions, it's a mansion. And you've got your own lavish suite. Now, I know we all ain't done no sweet living. But that's what it, you, I got a suite for you. I got a suite set aside just for you in my daddy's house. We won't need those. I don't miss nothing. Don't let your hearts be troubled. Because I'm coming back again. You know, it's fascinating that most passages that talk about Jesus' second coming always focus on the, uh, the, the apocalyptic aspects of that. Mm, yeah. He going to come in, he going to clean up, he going to go to work. But this one, listen, this is why this is so special. This one specifically focuses on our coming rest and comfort. Anybody need a little rest today? Anybody need a little comfort today? A reminder that trouble don't last always. That it's never gonna, it's not gonna be this way forever. That there is an eternal rest, there is an eternal comfort, there is a divine sweet waiting for me. That's everybody got views. Every 360 views. After elucidating on the beautiful promise that he is securing, Jesus assures them in verse 4, if you're following along, the, he assures them that they know the way to where he is going. They know the way to where he is going. I don't want to get into the metaphysical nature of heaven, but I will tell you that you can't take a spaceship to get there. He tells them they know the way. And Thomas, you know, Thomas caught a bad rap from almost every pastor I ever heard. But you know what Thomas is? Thomas is honest and humble. He's sitting there listening to Jesus. And I'm sure he wanted to be like, yeah, Jesus, all of that. But inside he was like, oh, but do we? <laughs> But do we? Do we? And he looking around. He, anybody else gonna say something? <laughs> Peter, you gonna say? Nah, man. He just told me I'm gonna act like I don't even know him, bro. I can't speak on it, right? I can't speak on it, man. Uh, 
One question per chance. One question. How we get there? <laughs> How we get there? He started with Lord. I like that. Lord, because he, uh, I don't want no trouble. Respectfully. With all due respect. We don't know where you're going. It's in the text. Read it. We don't know where you're going. So we don't know where you're going. How are we supposed to know the way? <laughs> he asks rather than demands. Again, which conveys a, a sense of humility. Listen, he is honest in admitting his ignorance. And just as a little word to all of us this morning, without such humility and honesty, authentic discipleship is impossible. It's impossible. You see, Thomas seems to understand Jesus' reference to his father's house on, on this world level. And in fact, he's saying, I don't know the address. I, I. You said it's mad exclusive, and I didn't get the text. How are we supposed to know the root? Jesus is so kind. You know, he rebuked his religious opponents all the time, cracking on them. <laughs> Things that would never come to my mind. I said it a couple of weeks ago. Can you imagine looking at somebody and going, you're a whitewashed tomb full of dead men's bones. Wow. That is harsh. John said we were a brood of vipers. You had to just take it to the next level, didn't you, Jesus? <laughs> but he didn't rebuke them. I hope you received that today. That God meets our ignorance with love, not ferocity. He didn't rebuke them. His response was gentle and kind. He didn't scold Thomas. Like, you ain't been listening at all, fool. He didn't scold him. Instead, he just offers further enlightenment. And this is where we get this profound I am statement. And, and, and I wonder if you still have an imagination where you can put yourself in that moment. And you're telling Jesus, I don't know the way. I don't know the way. I don't know. I don't know. We don't know where you're going and we don't know how to get there. And he looks you in your eyes and he says, oh, Thomas, I am the way. I am the way. Not only am I the way, I'm the truth. Not only am I the truth, I'm the life. These three terms linked together form a beautiful I am statement, but listen, the central term, the focus of what he's saying is directed to Thomas's question. He is the way. Throughout the Gospels, we hear of Jesus coming from the Father, revealing the Father, bringing new life, and then returning to the Father. But now the focus is on Jesus' role as the one who leads people to the Father. God alone 
is truth and life. And when our rebellion separated us from God, we were plunged into ignorance and death. It follows then that the way to the Father requires, listen, both revelation because of our ignorance and life due to our death and it requires inspiration to understand that the one who is speaking is actually the path. So truth and life enjoy supporting roles. Jesus is the way to God precisely because he is the truth of God. Jesus is the way to God precisely because he is the life of God. Jesus is the truth of God because he embodies the supreme revelation of God. Listen, he narrates God for anybody who will listen. You want to know what God is like? You don't have to guess. You don't have to postulate. You don't, you don't have to sit there and, and, and try and find your inner mind. to un No, Jesus has already shown us what God is like. Yeah. Yeah. He says and he does exclusively what the Father gives him to do and say. Jesus is the life and the one who has life in himself. He is the resurrection and the life. He is the true God and eternal life. And only because he is the truth and the life can Jesus be the way for others to get to heaven. Now, in this context, Jesus doesn't simply blaze a trail. Don't hear that. He's not, he's not lighting the way and then commanding others to take the way he takes. No, he is the way. He is the door. He is the path. He is the agent of creation in all life. He is the savior. He is the lamb of God. He is the one who speaks so that graves open up. He so mediates God's truth in life that we cannot distinguish one from the other. No one comes to the father, he says, except through me. As one 14th century writer put it, he himself is the way. And in addition, I love this, he is the lodging on the way and the destination. There is no other way. There is no other truth. There is no other source of life. It is Jesus alone. All other ways are ineffective in bringing people to the true God. No one, Jesus insists, no one is getting there unless they come through me. Now, I know we don't like exclusivity in our culture until we do. Until we do. Until it serves our ends. And I know compassion and empathy lend themselves toward making us desire to withdraw the exclusivity with which Jesus speaks, but this is exclusive. There are not many ways. There are not many heavens. There's only one way to get there, and that is via trust in Jesus. We must believe Jesus, trust 
that Jesus is true. What is the alternative? Uncertainty? Unproven paths to heaven? Untested faiths? No one who ends up sharing God's life will do so apart from Jesus. And this is what he's saying, that if you trust me as the way and the truth and the life, you will know the way to get to the Father. Now listen to me, if you are online, or if you are here in the room right now and you are not yet a follower of Jesus, well, there is much to wrestle with today. We live in a society that says exclusivity is wrong until it is convenient. And your temptation, listen, your temptation and mine, I am not standing on the mountaintop telling you how great I get this. Your temptation and mine is to want there to be a path that does not require we change the way we do life in this world. And I get it. But Jesus has made this so clear that we have to joyfully accept it or willfully reject it. But we cannot say we no longer know. 75% of people in the U.S. believe they're going to heaven <laughs> despite what they believe about Jesus. Then it stands to reason that at least three-quarters of us believe the same. But how can you be sure if you don't trust the one who came from heaven, it's the only way to get there. So hear my heart today. This is the beauty of the gospel, and that's what I told you. The exclusivity is not about keeping out. It's about narrowing in. Because guess what? It is not exclusive to what you've done. It doesn't matter what you've done. And it's not exclusive to what's been done to you. It doesn't matter what's been done to you. It doesn't matter how broken or benign your story. Today, Jesus is calling. And he's inviting you into eternal comfort and peace. You know, I, I, I first became a Christian, and I do believe I became a Christian. And I was told, just pray this prayer. Just pray this prayer. And I believe the people who told me to pray that prayer, I believe they were earnest. But I, be, I believe they sold us short. I do. Because what they don't tell you, what they didn't tell me, that I am compelled to tell you today, is that Christianity, actually follow, actual discipleship, it is a radically different way to live, not just information you've accepted. Don't need to say it louder. It is a change in the way you it is a change in the way you speak. It is a change in the way you conduct yourself. It is a change in the way you work. It is a change in your priorities. It is a change in your vision. It is a change in your desires. It is a total surrender. I don't want to sell you a false bit of goods so that you can get some fire insurance. 
This is not about hell. This is about him having your heart all the way, all the way. And so, no, I'm not just talking about those far from God today. There are many of us, we have prayed a prayer. But does our life reflect the change? Are we different? Do we move different? If you want to move different, then I'm going to pray this prayer over you. And if you... And if you want to receive it, just throw your hands in the air. Don't wave them like you just don't care. Just, just hold them there. Jesus, we trust you. It's the only way to God. Even when it's hard to do so. We will trust you. It's the only way. Despite our desire to find a way that does not require, we change. We will trust you as the only way. And lovingly show others that you are true and every other way is false. In Jesus' name.